Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome, welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. This is Frankie V talking to you live from Jacksonville, Florida. I don't live here, by the way. And by the time it reaches you, it won't be live. And I have Nicholas, Nikki V, Nico with me. Good morning. I don't live here either, but I do live near here. So today, we are going to discuss a topic that comes out of the book of Jude. And I'm going to hand the baton over to you, Nikki, and have you start us off and introduce the topic to both of our listeners and launch into your thoughts on it. Okay, you two, listen up. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to give a little background on how this topic even came to be being talked about right now by the both of us. So there's a group of guys that I gather with every Tuesday morning, about 10 of them. Good guys. They're wise guys. They're wise guys. Sometimes they are very wise guys. Are they good fellas? Sometimes. Forget about it. (laughs) We had a visitor one day, and we often get visitors to this little group, and... um, This guy came in and he was pretty fired up and he was talking about how Christians need to contend for the faith. Mm. And then he launched onto this whole rant about Second Amendment rights uh, and how they were under attack and Mm -hmm. all this stuff and how we needed to rise up and contend for the faith. So... After he finished, there was kind of this long, awkward pause of silence. Um, But it actually wound up turning into a really great discussion about what the phrase, because I think a couple guys immediately pop their phones open or wherever it is that people keep their Bibles these days and, you know, remembered that phrase from the book of Jude. We wound up having a really interesting conversation about it, which then I passed along to Frank at some point in the past. And so here we are talking about it today. And um, I'm just going to read that passage out of Jude, and then we'll see what we have to say about it. All right, so here's what Jude says in verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So that's the passage where we find the phrase earnestly contending for the faith. And so that that phrase kind of came up in our conversation, and then you and I kind of talked about this very briefly. So, having read that, what say you, Frankie V? Nikki V. The thing that comes to my mind when I think of contending for the faith are these immortal words. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. When I think of people using the term contending for the faith, 
its justification to rain damnation upon fellow Christians with whom we disagree over doctrine, theology, or politics. Yes, totally agreed. I think <laughs> when we hear the word contending for the faith, we automatically equate it with confronting people and arguing with people and debating with people and attacking people. Right. Or punting to the state, which Christendom has done historically, and trying to leverage political power to, for example, to keep our Second Amendment rights or our freedom of speech or what have you. Of course, we've said in other podcasts here how it was the empire and it was the religious system. But that's another conversation that we talked about it oftentimes in this podcast, the political piece. What I find interesting about that statement is this. The dominating question we should have is what does he mean to contend for the faith? So a couple observations. One of them is the word contend, I believe, is uniquely used, talking about the Greek word, in Jude only. We don't have this word anywhere else. But it is a term that comes from the athletic world, and it means struggle. The other observation I make is that he says it's for, it's struggle for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So at this point in church history, there was a body of beliefs, a body of teaching that has been delivered to all of the holy ones, all of those who are in Christ. And I think this is a reference to what Paul called the apostolic tradition. It's the faith. It's not our individual faith in Christ. It is the faith. It is what we believe as followers of Jesus, his teachings, his examples, etc. And at this point in time, there was a body of belief, a body of teaching that was entrusted to God's people. But contend could mean what some people take it to mean, that we are to struggle with other believers in trying to persuade them that our faith in Christ or our particular version of belief in the Lord or theological views are correct. Or it could mean that we in our own individual walk are to struggle with keeping true to and faithful to what the gospel really is, what the gospel of the kingdom really is. And so these people who had secretly slipped in among the believers, and he's obviously talking about a local fellowship or local fellowships. You know, he's not talking about the general body of Christ or of all Christians around the world. Right. He's talking about a particular local expression of the body of Christ to whom he's writing. And he's saying that, that these people, and he just spends a lot of time describing them, but they're not true Christians. You know, these are not people who misinterpret the Bible, right? I mean, nobody is infallible when it comes to interpretation of Scripture. You know, we all see through a glass darkly and we're all learning. But these people have evil motives, okay? And they're bringing a message that's utterly contrary to the faith of Jesus Christ and, and what he taught. Paul uses a term, it's interesting, he uses the term, the doctrine according to godliness. So sound teaching, what's true, what the Lord really taught, what the apostles taught, it will always produce godliness. And if a message is producing ungodliness, it's causing people to walk in immorality, which is what was happening here, their teaching is not sound. It's contrary to our faith. And what I find interesting here, I, I went through the letter, Nick, and I just underscored the active verbs or the active words trying to get a handle on what he means to contend. 
So in verse 5, he uses the word remind. I want to remind you. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. He wants them to be reminded. Mm-hmm. And the reminder is pretty heavy. I mean, he talks about people who are like these folks, these godless men who had entered into, who had slipped into, wormed their way into the fellowship. They have judgment coming. <laughs> you know, he talks about punishment of eternal fire. And so he takes up verses 5 all the way to 16 to describe these people and how wicked they are and how dangerous they are. But when he gives the prescription to the people he's writing to, he never tells them to confront them. He never says rebuke them. He never says correct them. He doesn't even say put them out of the fellowship. What he does then is he turns the exhortations to their own individual walk. Verse 17, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus foretold. Verse 20, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Talking about the future hope. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23, snatch others from the fire. Save them. To others, show mercy. And then he says a prayer to keep, in verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So the instruction in light of these ungodly false teachers who had warmed themselves into this fellowship is not to take them on. It's rather to not allow their influence to persuade you or affect you in any way. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. And it was to me, too, because that's where we wound up in our conversation at, with the guys that I meet with. The good fellows. The good the fellows. The wise guys. They were very wise that day. Yeah. That's exactly where we wound up. And I think we all came away pretty surprised because I think we all held that same idea that contending for the faith with kind of a posture of aggression and going out there somewhere mm-hmm. to stand up for. Mm. you know and argue against right things and i'm not i'm not saying that that you shouldn't do that if that's something that stokes your fire and you feel like that's what the lord wants you doing out there then then have at it i'm not bent that way at all but that's not i think what we're saying here is don't mistake that for contending for the faith. Yeah, you can't call that contending. Right. That's contending not what, for that's the faith Jude is using. It. Right. Is something that happens within yourself. It is an internal posturing as Jude is encouraging and exhorting these local saints and a part of a body of believers that's been infiltrated um, by somebody preaching a different gospel. In this case, it's a gospel of licentiousness. Immorality. Yeah. We're either dealing with with legalism or immorality uh, when when these fellowships are being penetrated by a different gospel. And um, I think you nailed it. Every action word here is om- almost none of it is external. It's almost all internally directed. And what is external is aimed at the saints doing something for one another. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be an attack of these people no. who have, as he says, crept in yep. among you. Yes. And that's really arresting, and it ought, to, it ought to cause us to pause in terms of how we're thinking about contending for the faith and then, you know, how, how we, what our actions are from there on. 
you know, one of the things that popped into my mind when I was thinking about this, well, what about Stephen in Acts, uh, you know, 6 and 7, when he's arguing with the guys from the Sanhedrin? Isn't he contending for the faith there? Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is, when I went back and looked at that story, he wasn't doing that at all. He, he wasn't arguing with people at all. Here's, here's what the record says. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So there was these wonderful things being done through him. I assume people were getting healed and um, people were hearing the gospel. People were being delivered. And then it says, but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with him. So they started this fight with Stephen because, not because he was saying anything, but because these incredible signs were being wrought through him. And they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit in which he was speaking. And then, of course, they got so put out, they actually attacked him. Mm -hmm. So even there, you can't really say that he went out with the idea of picking a fight and trying to argue. He found himself in the middle of one, but that certainly wasn't his intention when he went. Um, He was actually doing good deeds for people and, and they came again, you know, the others came against him. So even that really can't be used as a contending for the faith in the sense of that he went out there and, you know, started, started a debate. There's no question that Paul of Tarsus did go into the synagogues, but his intention there was to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to preach Christ. And the nature of the synagogue was one where you could challenge the speaker, and, um, but it was not, not to fight or argue, it was to present Christ and to unleash the gospel. You know, that was the intention. And these were unbelievers. He was presenting Jesus to people who, I mean, the Messiah had come. They didn't know that this had taken place. But when, when we're talking about Jude, it's interesting because Second Peter is almost, almost verbatim in many of its places and echoing what Jude says. And, and scholars, we're not sure exactly which one influenced the other, but it, it seems that many scholars believe that Peter drew from Jude or that both Jude and Peter had a common source that they were drawing from to describe these people. And it's interesting, too, because Peter, of course, he was the apostle, disciple who walked with the Lord for three and a half years, at least three and a half years. And then Jude was the brother of Jesus, uh, mentioned in Mark, also known as Judah. He was also the brother of James, who was the brother of Jesus, the James who wrote the book of James. And so these people were very close to the Lord, is what mm-hmm. my point. Right. And when you read Peter, it's the same thing. I looked at the active action words. What was he trying to get across? And if you do a comparison of Second Peter and Jude, you will find the same descriptions of these false teachers that had come into the fellowship. In chapter 1, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith. And he gives this list, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Well, let me make a point about that because we have the word effort. And I think in the minds of some people who have been affected by the message of grace, in a positive way, sometimes get the idea that grace is opposed to effort. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And what grace does is it actually empowers a person in the area of effort. It doesn't become self-effort. It becomes effort that's energized by the Holy Spirit. Right. 
So grace is never opposed to effort. And you find this in Peter because he uses this term here in this verse and, and later. And then in verse 10, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. So again, he's talking about the fact that we are not to let these teachers and what they're teaching to affect our walk. We are to guard against it in a personal way, right? Just like Jude says. And then he says in verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, echoing a point we made in a previous podcast that how we live in this life affects the future, our future position and so forth. And then in Chapter 3, verse 1, I'm giving you these reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command. So he wants them to remember. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, having an eternal view. Make every effort, there again, effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with the Lord. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And then verse 17, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Again, it's a personal guarding. The contending, the struggle is that which goes on in ourselves, that that we're not affected by what these false teachers are saying. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So Peter has taken the same position that Jude is. Nothing there about arguing, fighting, nothing there about trying to persuade them, all about guarding yourself and your own walk and not being influenced by what they're teaching. Now, I have to say this, though, because, you know, the Bible will say one thing in one place and then another in another place. Not that it will contradict each other, but that it will complement each other. You do find occasions in Paul where he will tell a church to actively throw out people who have come in that are influencing the church in a negative way. Well, in Galatians is the, the most prominent example. It basically says to throw out the legalizers mm-hmm. who are troubling you. All right. But in many of the other letters, he doesn't say that to them. He instead talks about not allowing them to influence the believers, right? But when you turn and you look at letters like Timothy and Titus, two Timothys and the Titus, those were apostolic workers. They were itinerants. And he gave them instructions to rebuke the people who had come into these groups and were dividing them and so forth. He basically exhorted them to take them on and to deal with them. But to the local assemblies, it was as if the whole emphasis of, of Paul and Jude was, you know, don't let them influence you. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans 16, don't associate with them, keep away from them, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And don't let them alter your own personal walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, we're contending for the faith by doing all these things. And I think the distinction you just made was really important that what you see as an outside apostolic worker dealing with some of those more aggressive looking type directions in terms of uh, you know throwing somebody out of the fellowship or talking to those two younger workers and instructing them to silence people Mm -hmm. who have crept in and I think I think that's important Um, yeah these things have come in to the local gathering here absolutely what kinds of things are we looking at in Jude that that 
you know, Jude and Paul and Peter are so concerned about. And just listen to these because Jude gives us kind of a list of what these activities are that you need to guard yourself against. These are grumblers. This is in verse 16. Grumblers, finding fault and following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And then further down in uh, verse 18. This is all inside the church. This isn't out in the world. The world has always had these people. Yeah. The world will always have these people. These are people who are not have not only come in to the ecclesia, they are gaining a footing right. in the ecclesia. And their words and their teaching and their philosophy and what they're promoting is gaining some kind of foothold. And they're, the saints are being exhorted, admonished, to not let any of this stuff gain a foothold inside of their right. hearts and inside of their souls. But here, here's a few other. There will be mockers inside the house of God, following after their own ungodly lusts. And not just following and walking in that, but promoting others to do the same. Yep. These are the ones who cause divisions. Yeah. And often, Paul had said to other churches, mark those who cause division. Mm among you worldly minded worldly minded devoid of the spirit so these are some of the characteristics that we're seeing and it's interesting to me because all these things are the kinds of things that you write about in insurgents in terms of the things that we need to forsake in order to pursue the kingdom Mm. are things like worldly mindedness (laughs) being divisive people you know, contentious type people, mockers, things like that, all the worldliness that, that comes with that. So, and then as Frank has already kind of covered here, you know, so what is the antidote to that? Well, for the saints, it's not to attack all these people. It's almost like to, you know, to kind of grow this hard shell that just can't be penetrated yeah, exactly. by this kind of insanity that these people are promoting. And how do you encase yourself, yourselves, mm from being penetrated by this type of poison well he says but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy Mm. faith earlier he says remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our lord jesus Mm. christ so there's two things praying in the holy spirit and keeping yourselves in the love of god while waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. There's that eternal view again coming in mm-hmm. to the present yes. and affecting us and even protecting us mm. from some of this more insidious stuff that can that can lay hold of us. And even then he encourages them to have mercy on some who are doubting. So some people are being affected by this. Some good mm. brothers and sisters are wavering a little bit and he's suggesting that you have mercy on them save others snatching them out of the fire Mm. and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment Mm. polluted by the flesh so pretty amazing yeah definitely and i think this is a good place to point out that today we have ministries that are solely dedicated to being watchdogs, quote-unquote, discernment ministries, quote-unquote, those who contend for the faith. And the whole reason they exist is to point out globally, internationally, through the internet, coming from a bedroom in someone's house, who the false teachers are in the body of Christ. What's fascinating about that is, and 
every case that I've seen, and I don't follow any of these ministries because of the spirit that's behind it, Jude talks about fault finding. Right. That's not of the spirit of God. Right. Is that, number one, the people who, in my experience now, there may be ministries that are out there that are not like this, but the ones that I have come across over the years. But I have no relationship with the people they're attacking or accusing. Two, in most cases, they are misinterpreting, taking words out of context and making false charges against what those people believe, allegedly. And they are, in effect, throwing hand grenades at true servants of the Lord over differences in style, differences in biblical interpretation, but would not qualify to what the Bible calls heresy, which is, an, is another issue in itself, because heresy meant causing division. It didn't mean holding to a, a false belief, although holding to a false belief is not a good thing, and Scripture doesn't sanction that. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book Regrace, to point out that every hero of the faith, people who influenced evangelicalism, whether it was Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, you name the person, the movers and shakers of our faith, particularly in the evangelical Protestant world, including C.S. Lewis, including the great Billy Graham, none of them had immaculate perception. None of them interpreted scripture perfectly. And if those guys missed it in some areas, not to put them down at all, they're just human, we're all human. If they weren't perfect in their doctrine, right, in their belief system, then how much more should we give grace to one another and try to understand one another? And even if we do have a disagreement, at the very least, go to the person directly and see if you even understand what it is they're teaching. Because in so many cases, when an accusation is made, it's based on a misinterpretation of what they believe and what they've said. I've seen this so many times, it's, it's sickening. Mm -hmm. When Paul was talking to Timothy and Titus about taking on false teachers, these were local situations where these people had, like Jude says, crept in unawares mm -hmm. into the fellowships and so Timothy and Titus, they were talking to these people face to face. Right. It wasn't over a, a computer screen. Right. It's a totally different situation. Yeah. That distinction is so important because I think sometimes we read some of Paul's harsher activity or, you know, we see some of these things in letters and we kind of use it as carte blanche to just launch on people, you know, from our keyboard mm -hmm. or from the TV airways or whatever. And that is not at all what was going on. Paul was a spiritual father to these assemblies that he's writing to. Mm -hmm. And the content is exclusively going to them. So it's all happening within the family. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Um, and, and so it's a vastly different context than, than a lot of the uh, activity that we see going on today that is flying under the banner of contending for the faith. I saw this one meme that caused my upper teeth to fall out. It was so funny, but it, it was the picture of a, a guy on his deathbed. He's getting ready to cross the veil. And he said, the one thing I regret more than anything else is that I did not have more online arguments with people on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> said no one. I may have gotten the wording off a little bit, but it was so funny. So hopefully... Um... When you hear the words contending for the faith, maybe seeing them from a different angle, different perspective, and maybe most importantly, a different spirit. And that's, that's a little bit about contending earnestly for the faith, a kingdom perspective. Right on. Forget about it.
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.